0: good morning good morning good morning
1: good morning morning. you mean to wish me a good morning what do you mean that it is a good morning whether i want it or not please go away let me speak for the love of God
2: Uh, Some transformative action to kick us off this week. Let's get the week started right. Hey everyone, good morning, good afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. Uh, Thank you for hitting play. This is Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran and it's freaking awesome to be with you this week. I spoke too soon last week though. Uh, I did think Ben would be back by now, but I was a week off. Um, So what we've gone and done is we've got the other Ben here right now. Once again, Jarrett Garn.
3: How are you, mate? Good, good. I am old, Ben. I'm obviously, I'm I'm doing this remotely, which is disappointing because I still, particularly after last week and, you know, and Melzi saying how nice and warm that seat was, I was, yeah, you know, but I'll get there. I will get there, but I'm pleased to be here on the podcast regardless. Well, you did say the
2: magic words, Melzi Begg. I want to give her a bit of a shout out because she was here at the desk last week and did a brilliant co-hosting job as always. And if you did listen to last week's show, which I know you all did, uh, then you will have noticed there were a few little audio issues throughout, which I fucking hate when that happens. And I particularly hate it when it happens on a Melzi show because she comes a long way to be here. And that's always a bit disappointing, but it was a fun episode nevertheless. And of course she will be back in a few weeks' time for her regular monthly spot on the show. So yeah. Shout out to Melzi, she's awesome. And anyway, what are you up to, mate? How's things with you?
3: Good, I'm just preparing at the moment for Monster Fest weekend of 3D. You know, we're just a little less than two weeks out from our launch in Melbourne, so I've just been I've been working like a madman on everything from trailers for the festival. To little image assets, to copy, to dealing with the cinemas themselves. So it's yeah, it's it's coming up and it's dominating my entire life at the wow. moment.
2: Well, I'm gonna pick your brain about that in just a moment. Um, let's get some of the formalities out of the way. Just want to give everybody the the confirmation. This is the week that you want to be listening because this is uh, we've got two interviews lined up for you this week. In fact, this is the first episode of a two-part Transformer theme. So. Transformers Rise of the Beast is in cinemas and um, I've spoken to a handful of people involved with the film so coming up today I'm going to be chatting with the Hollywood producer Lorenzo de Bonaventura and the director Stephen Capel Jr. And yes I got that name out in one hit for once. <laughs> Good work. Thank man. you Good sir. work, Thank you. <laughs> um, and yeah so... I think they've put together possibly the best of the uh, Transformers installments or of the sequels. Anyway, it's a fantastic film, and I don't. And say you're, that you, you're allowed to
3: talk about it now, aren't you? Because yeah. you, for a while there, you were um, embargoed yep. as to what you said about the film, you know. But now you can talk freely and I can openly.
2: Definitely talk freely, and I will talk about it in a little bit. But um, next week's show we're going to have the interviews with the lead actors, so Anthony Ramos and Dominic Fishback are going to be. Chatting all about the film. They're a lot of fun as well. So some great conversations coming up. Um, I'm particularly thrilled about today's with Lorenzo because he's the producer and this guy's made some massive massive fucking movies and um he's good fun so yeah so there you go so you've, you've listened to the right show this week and also we'd like to invite you and encourage you to go to our socials and, and hit up all those pages like share comment all of that recruit for us get your friends on board um, you know spread the word good movie monday's where it's at but before we do kick into the rest of the show let's talk about that business with monster mate what's this weekend all about
3: well, this year we're doing a mid-year mini-festival. We, we started it last year and we did one, and it was just a sort of experiment to see, you know, whether something mid-year would work. And because films typically come up earlier in the year and then by the time that the festival is, they've already released or we've lost them to other festivals or, you know, it's just the nature of film festivals. So we thought last year let's start a mid-year festival so we can, you know, account for all that content we would normally lose as the year goes on Uh, and then in this year we decided well let's just do something completely different it was off the back of screening Friday the 13th part three in 3d last year yep at all our monster fest dates in November and December of last year and it was such a big success and everyone like I mean, I I just loved it and it was just such a universal I don't know enjoyment in the cinema like everyone cheering anytime anything was in 3D on the screen. <laughs> be it a be it just a title you know coming at yeah. you everyone's like whoa. Did you get people and like so, reaching
2: out, you know, they're trying to grab it? Yeah, I totally <laughs> yeah, it was
3: great. It was great and and always people are turning to the person next to them as if to say, did you see that? And of course I saw that. Like that's, that's what's in the foreground of the screen. That's all (laughs) I can see, but it was a lot of that, but a lot of, yeah, a lot of enthusiasm. I think the art of the 3d movies being lost because, you know, there's less and less coming out these days. And typically they're only for the superhero sort of type of movies, the Marvel sort of stuff. We don't really get the genre stuff like we did when, when, like, My Bloody Valentine yeah. 3D came but the out. the other thing, just...
2: too, is, like, you know, the, the way 3D is now, so when whether it's Avatar or one of, like you said, a Marvel film or something, it is very much the film is just presented in three dimensions, right? Whereas true. The, the ones we're talking about, like, there was a gimmick involved. They would poke you. Oh. They would stick stuff out of the screen, and it was all Absolutely. about, you know, just manipulating the screen, and, and it was much more fun back then.
3: Oh absolutely it's like a a throwback to like the William Castle era of cinema you know where everything was gimmickry and it's so good because like when we did like Friday the 13th part three last year you know there's the passing of the joint and that yeah yeah. and stuff like that is just amazing so we've, we've amped it up for this year's Weekender and we've decided we're going to do a program completely comprised of 3D hence the title Monster Fest Weekender 3D six films in the program and it's a good mix of decades we've got you know contemporary sort of films like mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw 3D which which blows my mind that this film despite having been a hit in the United States at the box office that you know Warner Roadshow here in Australia opted just to skip cinemas and go straight to home entertainment mm-hmm. and I know I picked up the import 3D Blu-ray when it came out I think that and I watched a... it in 3D it's phenomenal it's
2: got a really good uh, commentary track I think Toby Hooper's on that one
3: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I haven't listened to that. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll definitely now, after revisiting it in the cinema, I'll have to watch it at home. But I actually quite like that installment. I mean, you know, we've had worse since. Um, yeah. Hey, Leatherface wasn't great. Just a... Not Leatherface as in Texas Chancellor Massacre 3. Leatherface is in that yeah. other Leatherface.
2: It's a, it's a clunky franchise. Like, I mean, yes. outside of the first two, possibly the first three. And if you yeah. want to be generous, the first four.
3: Oh, like, I don't know. That's awfully generous for the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, look at
2: it. Is, but that was a satirical film. When, and, but anyway, yeah. anyway, like, but beyond that, it really like nothing gels. Like the it's fractured all over. No, the place. yeah.
3: No, and I love that the timelines all sort of fucked in yeah. Texas Chainsaw 3D. It's like 20 years later or something. But then there's all modern the, devices the guy, and mobile stuff. phones and stuff. Yeah. And, oh my god! I remember watching it, going, "Hang on, what? How did?" What? How did this pass? Yeah, this is like, supposed what? to be
2: early 90s, and yet they've got
3: yeah. iPhones. And it, yeah. yeah. And the style, the clothing, everything yeah. was contemporary. But regardless, it's super gory. There's some great kills in it. It is a lot of fun, and I'm really excited because when I did watch it at home when it first came out, I watched it with the wife, but I want to see it in a cinema with, like, a bunch of people. And there's going to be people there, I dare say, that probably haven't even seen the film so that's going to be good. And then cool. we've got, yeah, My Bloody Valentine 3D, which really kick-started the 3D movement, managed to get out in cinemas before Avatar did. So it was the real first 3D, you know, next-generation movie. We've got Silent Madness, which I'm really excited about because this is the first time Silent Madness has played in Australian cinemas. This film was, I mean, it was banned in Queensland, just like another film that released on home entertainment last week, <laughs> albeit not in 3D. Oh, uh, but then... <laughs> It was um, it was mishandled by the distributors. You know, it 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 got picked up and then they just sat on it and ended up dumping it to video like four years after they acquired it. Mm-hmm. It's the first time in Aussie cinemas we've got Flesh for Frankenstein. It'll be the fiftieth anniversary. Can you believe it? Fifty years. Amazing. I mean, the movie is older than either of us, yeah. but it's still hard to believe the movie's fifty years old. And then yeah, rounding out the festival, we got two films about different types of houses. We've got House of Wax 3D, the original vincent price 1953 classic actually it's not even the original it's technically a remake because i think mysteries of the wax museum came before that might have been in the early 30s or so anyway but this is this was the first studio 3d movie horror movie that is uh and it's a classic and then the final film i'm really excited about amityville 3d yes. so i mean amityville 3d is just such a favorite like it is it's, it's it is. that that is the definition I guess of a kind of guilty pleasure because the first two are excellent movies and then the third film is just pure cheese oh. but of the highest order.
2: Most actors and actresses in Hollywood got their start in horror somewhere and this is Meg Ryan's big start.
3: It's it's true, and yeah, yeah. Laurie Lachlan as well. She's in there as well, and she looks magnificent. God bless <laughs> her. Um, <laughs> pre-incarceration, obviously, because she served some time only a couple of years ago for that whole college scandal. You know, <laughs>
2: well, there's an another scandal. another very clunky uh, franchise for sure. But that's like a like it's that's a franchise that has so many Amityville titles in it that aren't even really part of the franchise. Like, it's, it's they've true. gone to space. They've you know. Like they've probably been in the hood, just like the leprechaun, like it's amateur. They've
3: they've literally been, I think, there's amateurville Karen, amateurville toilet. Yeah, they're just, (laughs) there has been like, I reckon in the last three, four years, there has been probably upward of 20 amateurville films. But the beauty of the third one, too, is it was produced by Dino De Laurentiis, but because he didn't want to pay for, you know, licensing rights to the original story Mm. and all of this. They, they actually got sued and so they had to remove things from the first trailer that came out, which, you know, referenced the first two installments. Um, but, yeah, so it was a bit of a slippery beast. But the beauty of it is this is the one that opened up, you know, to make all of these cash, shameless cash in movies. Yep, yep, so, totally. yeah, I, I love mean- it.
2: I, I really liked the Amityville um franchise whilst it was still like connected like number 4 I think there's at the oh, end yeah. all like number 5 but, like it was yeah, a good yeah. dollhouse yep. the
3: the one with the mirror yep. um you know I can't even remember the time I've, I have the titles I've got like a box set full of them but yeah I'm a, I'm a fan of the I like I love all those DTV Amityville films from the late 80s early 90s they're terrific. Definitely
2: definitely. Hey what was the um do you remember what the first 3D movie you ever saw in a cinema was?
3: Ooh, now that is a very. I've good got an entire because... drawer here
2: at home full of 3D glasses mm. from either DVD releases or from cinema releases. They're all branded. Yeah. I've even got a pair of real specs like you're wearing right now, but with the oh, right the different dark uh, colors, the green and the, the red. Oh,
3: cool! Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, I it's funny because I feel like when we were growing up, 3D was sort of on the outer when we were young. Mm. You know, they all the only 3D movies that were really coming out were more, you know, adult centric sort of stuff like, you know, the Friday the 13th. Yep. Three, but the one that I can that I remember off the top of my head was Freddy's Dead, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street that 6 with the one. finale. You know, and the whole movie's 2D, but then you put the 3D glasses, yeah, it was amazing and yeah. I'm sure I still have those 3D glasses. I love that they, they signal
2: to you when to put them on.
3: Yes, it was. Uh, it was. It felt like one of those books that you had from your childhood, and when you hear the chimes ring. It's time to turn the page. Yeah, but yeah, that that was wild. I remember my little mind was blown. I think I was like eleven or twelve when that movie came out. I remember like and the, that whole experience. The, the
2: signal in that it might have been Meyer or somebody in that movie was they they pick up their own three D glasses. Yes, and they hold that's them up. Right. They hold them up right as if they're about to put them on, but they get distracted in conversation. So they're they're holding them for a good 20, 30 seconds, <laughs> yeah. giving you the yes. signal. When I put these on, you put yours on, <laughs> yeah. and then everything changes. It was such a fun time. It's probably.
3: Probably the greatest amount of suspense in that installment of the <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. I do love that movie though. You know, that's, um, that's six is a lot of fun.
2: It is. That's something that um Roger uh, Robert Rodriguez, I should say, did with like um Spy Kids three uh, and the yes. Lava Girl. He did the whole yes. nod to the audience. No. I think they even did a bleep on the screen, like a little pair of glasses went bloop. It's like ah, no, uh, yeah, like a cigarette burn on. or something. Yeah. I did.
3: I I remember seeing uh, Spy Kids 3D theatrically. I think was that 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 one was called. Game, Game over, over or that something. Was maybe? Was Game Sly, over. With Sly it. and Sly was the villain. Yeah, yeah. it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, I saw all of those Spy Kid movies. I think that was the last one I saw theatrically because after that they might have had a change of the children. And the fourth, the fourth I one can't... had
2: the 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 two yeah. lead actors were now adults and they were still in it, but you. And the new generation uh, yes. of Spy Kids come along. Oh, that kind of That's it. right.
3: And that that was the next generation of 3D when that one actually came yeah. out. It was that real 3D era. So yeah, yeah. I've got it on Blu-ray somewhere, but I still haven't <laughs> I haven't got to that installment just yet.
2: Hilarious. Well, exciting stuff. So everybody should check out your Facebook page. Is it was uh, at MonsterFest. And, um... Yes, head
3: to Monster Fest, and uh, you'll find all the details either on the website or the socials. I mean, July 7th to 9th in Melbourne at Cinema Nova. And then we're doing Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide and Perth at event cinema locations. And that's July 14th to 16th, so the following week. So you've got a little bit of time. So you'll, you'll hear everyone in Melbourne hopefully talk it up and then you'll be like, I've got to get in on this. All right,
2: folks, let's do that Newsly thing and let's do it pretty fast this week. Get the Newsly app, go to newsly.me, download it onto your phone, it is a super app. You can listen to our podcast there as well as every other podcast that's available as well as all of the highest trending news articles from around the world. Newsly goes to 80 different countries and grabs all the highest trending stuff, puts it into your phone and reads the news back to you in a natural human voice which is clearly very handy when you are doing things and you can't read. You might be driving, you could be running, you might be a lazy son of a bitch just like me. Newsly has you covered. They also have a premium service and we can get you an entire month for free, if you want to give that a go. So, download Newsly.me, upgrade, use the code MONDAY, without the O-M-N-D-A-Y. Bob's your uncle. Back to the show. Alrighty. Well, Jarrett, while we've got
3: you here, we may as well talk about some homemade releases. Well, I don't want to disappoint you, Glenn, but oh. there is only one major release coming out this week. It's going to be a quick segment. It, well, yes and no, because <laughs> I do have some news. Excellent. But it's Avatar... The Way of Water, oh. it's coming out in all the formats, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's like this film actually did have a proper window where they did the theatrical, they did the premium VOD, then it went to Disney+. Plus. Now it's coming out in physical media, so it had a window, but the one thing it didn't have is sort of much, I guess, prep time to announce it. It just sort of like, I think it was like three weeks ago, they announced, oh, it's coming out at Home Entertainment they, in three weeks.
2: They embargoed the shit out of this one right so i can say from experience from where i work that we really needed um the title You know we needed to have the the release dates on hand so we could you know factor in a lot of things in publication we didn't they didn't give us that until like you know the day before we had to hit the press type of thing and it's you know it's a very yeah. tricky thing to promote when you're not given anything and i feel like it's to their detriment because the, the, the punters aren't on board with any of it.
3: Well, yeah. No, I think people will be genuinely surprised when they either walk into a physical retailer next week and actually see it. Although that said, was interesting to note there's a mass merchant having a 20% off sale mm-hmm. right at the moment. Yeah. And one of the only exceptions to their 20% off is this film, yeah. which is the only new release <laughs> that's dropping <laughs> this week. Yeah. So I had to laugh about that. That yeah. bloody... That
2: bloody mouse, he loves his cheese. He won't <laughs> I share. You, i tell you what is a missed opportunity with um, Avatar, any release of Avatar. Back in the day, we would have VHS releases like the Craze and you'd get that blobby sort of liquid in the cover. Avatar yes. needs to do a liquid cover.
3: Mate, what that would be amazing. I like know that I'd I'd be I'd be tempted to buy it if it had some sort of watery yeah, glittery, in it, yeah. novelty cover. Yeah, absolutely. Like the old overboard VHS cover, which yes. had the water that splashed about. Very cool. Yeah. That- but yeah, that one's coming out. It's coming out, like I said, on 4K Blu-ray DVD. But here's a kicker as well, because it's coming out on Blu-ray 3D, which is a bit of a rarity these days. There's very few films that come out on 3D Blu-ray. There's a company in Australia called Random Access Media that do some of the Sony or Universal Sony titles in 3D that don't go to mass merchants like one of the Jurassic. I think all the recent Jurassic Park films have been released in 3D, but you can't generally get them at, like, you know, your JBs. You get them through a mob like this. So there's hardly anyone doing this because the fact is most modern TVs don't support 3D anyway. You'd have to be watching on a TV from five or more years ago. Yeah, yeah. But they're not doing a pack that includes... 3D Blu-ray and 4K. No, if you want, you have to buy both. Um, <laughs> but I guess you know, look if you, if you're buying Avatar: The Way of Water on home entertainment, you're a sucker. Uh, so you <laughs> know. Would... But anyway, look, they have loaded these things with special okay. features. Glenn, there's there's something like there's there's a multi-part documentary on on The uh, Way of Water, which is like a 14-part featurette. So it's pretty extensive, called mm. Inside Pandora's Box but then there's I know, I know. <laughs> and then there's another one right that's got another five featurettes that's called like more from pandora's box it sounds like it's an emmanuel in paris yes, or emmanuel in africa type thing uh and then i think it's rounded out by the weekend's music video and a couple trailers and whatnot but okay. but yeah so that's happening and then they're obviously they're obviously releasing avatar on 4k for the first time to time with that along with you know, reissue on Blu-ray and DVD and I think Blu-ray 3D as well. But all I can say is, James, (laughs) now that we've got these out of the way and you pushed Avatar back until like 2026 or something, could we just get True Lies in the Abyss? You know, look, I'll settle for Blu-ray, mate. I don't even need 4K for them. I'd love 4K for them, but I will settle for For Blu-ray because at this point in time, I just want the films in high definition.
2: For a bloke that is so obsessed with quality, you know, to yeah. as a filmmaker like him, I don't know how I could, I would feel about knowing that two of my best and biggest films yeah exist in the poorest formats.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and and to know that they're aging out in terms of not not the films you know becoming sort of stale or old, but generations not having access to see these films, yeah. so that when they finally do come out, it's really you know it's only going to be about a fifty percent you know, share of the market.
2: You do have so many like new people that come on board to James Cameron, like it might be even the third or fourth Avatar film that comes along. They discover this filmmaker. They do a little bit of a dive down the rabbit hole, you know, discover his old films and then realise that, oh, hang on a second, this movie, The Abyss, is kind of like all the other movies he's done and True Lies is, you know, like that's an action movie I've never seen. It just makes no sense to me at all.
3: Oh, it, it makes very little sense. And, you know, it'll be like us when we were looking up films that were harder to get, like Under the Rainbow or whatever, yep. with Chevy Chase and Carrie Fisher, and you're like, okay, the reason you can't get it is because the movie flopped. It was pretty universally panned. But in the instance of these, if if kids are looking them up, they're going to be like, these movies made a lot of money and are beloved. Yeah. Why are they not available? That's like, right. what is the deal? Yep. I mean, it's pretty pretty cool that James is now tied in with Disney because, you know, it's all about the vault. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's true. That's all true. about the vault. But I mean,
2: also consider that the abyss. He went to all the effort to do his director's cut, the special edition. Yes,
3: which yeah, was a big absolutely. deal at the time
2: when DVD was Huge. the leading format. That was a massive release.
3: Huge, and uh, but interestingly, obviously they've got this, um, you know, uh, sunken submarine yeah, That's gone to explore. Yep. And did you see on the news that James Cameron's come out and he's he's being interviewed about it? <laughs> because and I can't help down but there. feel he's. Yeah, I know. I know that he's been down there and he's done the movie, obviously, the Titanic. I can't help but feel he's doing it <laughs> as subtle press for the home entertainment release of The Way of Water almost. <laughs> he's like, I'll just put myself back out there because I'm I'm the go-to person to speak about this stuff. But if it was between films and I'm, you know, busy in post-production, I wouldn't be coming out. But I've got a movie coming out on home entertainment this week. Well, I mean,
2: I mean, this would have been the perfect opportunity to get The Abyss out there, that's for sure.
3: Bloody oath, yeah, I reckon. Well, Titanic, because Titanic's due to come out in 4K pretty soon. I think that that one, the date might have leaked for, so because they did the theatrical re-release of it. Uh, I think it was either late last year or early this year, but that that's due to come. Uh, but again, The Abyss and True Lies predated Titanic, so the rule of thumbs <laughs> is that should be on 4K first. But anyway, yeah, Avatar and Avatar The Way of Water, the only home entertainment releases this week. But I don't want to disappoint you, I want to bring you some news, and it's good news. It's Roadshow are digging back into that Warner catalog to celebrate the Warner hundredth anniversary. So I think it's July 16. We're going to see three new classic Warner titles make it to 4K. The first one's the one I'm most excited about: yep. National Lampoon's Vacation.
2: I know. God, yes. Oh wait, please.
3: Which is amazing because that means we only need European Vacation, and then we have we have you know the best of the the series on 4K. You
2: know, I, I I still want a definitive series. Um, a box, you I want Vegas say.
3: Vacation and Randy's Christmas Island or whatever it is, <laughs> Uncle, Eddie's Uncle Island Vacation. Uncle, yeah. Well, yeah. you know
2: what? Like that one can can be left aside. But they made like a telemovie telly movie off that never saw the light of the day because something like All American Adventure and it had Gary Cole and Helen Slater um, doing the Clark and Allen roles, right? Um, yes. but it's never seen a lot of dates. This mystery movie does it exist, does it not? I think there's T V spots for it, but I want that resurrected and put into a box set. I want Hotel Hell yes. to be put in the box set for fuck's sake. Like I I just, Yeah, totally. Love this franchise.
3: I agreed, but unfortunately Warner yeah. are only putting it on four K. It'll have a new four K scan, it'll have HDR and Dolby Vision, but there is no new special features. All legacy content, which is fine because look, at least it's getting released on 4K. But yeah, it would be nice to see a little more, especially now that Chevy is doing more, you know, more events. Like he's actually doing conventions and, you know, he caught up with Randy yes, Quaid. I was about to say that. Amazing. Randy Quaid is back on
2: the scene in, you know, some social... I mean, he's been... He hasn't gone anywhere. If you're you're tenacious enough like I am to follow him on social media, he's always been here. He's just not... He's, he's on the fringes, let's say. But um, this... Recent week or the week uh, week just gone, him and Chevy Chase have gotten together at a con, taken some photos, some videos, and I'm like far out. Like it is just a match made in heaven. I tell you what,
3: it's incredible. Oh. Like it's a, a real joy. So yeah, I would love to sit now that and while Chevy's around because I mean he's not getting any younger and he has had some you know incidents in the past yeah. health incidents He is looking so good, it would be though, good to tonight. get his thoughts he's yeah he's looking he's he he slimmed down and looking healthy yeah um, you know if, so if
2: anybody listening to this show happens to have a, a, a line directly to Randy Quaid, please reach out tell him we want him on the show i've been pursuing this guy for fucking ever and he is my ultimate dream guest to have on good movie monday randy Quaid. I mean, if I can get bigger guests that we've had, like we've had fucking Robert De Niro, like we can get the, Randy
3: Quaid. Come on! I think the boneheads are the ones that are going to have to make it happen for us. I mean, they've got their, they've got, they've got an in. They could, you know, they're in with the uh, convention I, circuit. It could happen.
2: I'm not so sure that they have the same level of appreciation. Let's just put that. Okay. Way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But there are two other titles. So right. two other Warner titles coming out through Roadshow. We've got Rio Bravo, which is excellent, Great. classic Western. And then the last one is the last of the three James Dean films. Like We've already had Giant and Rebel Without a Cause. Now we're finally getting East Eden released on 4K. Nice. So they're all coming out mid-July, July 16th from memory. Then the only other title I want to mention is coming out on September 6th, is the one that I think that, Rather sort of just, I don't know why it didn't do money at the box office, because people love like Nicholas Cage, people love Nicholas Holt, but Renfield, and it was actually, it was excellent, I really dug it, it was gory, it was funny, it was action-packed, but it made zero dollars, and yeah, luckily we're getting a Blu-ray locally, because typically if it doesn't make any money, they'll do The Violent Night and just release it on DVD.
2: I know. This whole just-on-DVD thing is getting a little bit frustrating, isn't it? Like, I just uh, heard I the know. other day that Polite Society is only getting the uh, DVD release.
3: And that's a big, wow.
2: glossy, Bollywood-style, Matrix-y kind of yeah, action movie. It's a like, film
3: that's got a visual flair to it. Like, that. Yeah. that's the thing. And the sound as well. Because the, the thing people forget is... not only just the visuals but these dvds they only they only have you know lossy audio so it's heavily compressed yep it's not lossless audio so yes so much of the the good stuff is lost when you watch something on dvd yeah it's it's dumbfounding it's dumbfounding when it's a movie like that because you're almost like why bother even releasing a dvd just do it digitally you know because the people that will want it will probably want to see it looking schmicko and sounding schmicko but, yeah, I don't know. It's an unusual business, the old home entertainment business. But, anyway, that's all the news and all the home entertainment, everything that I have for you this week.
4: Well, how old are you, little one?
5: Uh, she was born without a tongue, Clark. But uh, don't you worry about her. She whistles like a bird and eats like a horse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Alrighty, Jarrett. So let's um, let's talk about some Transformers fun facts, if you will. I've got just a bunch of stuff just jotted down on the screen. I thought we could just sort of read them out and have a bit of a conversation. But um, you were saying to me uh, that Bumblebee is about the only Transformers movie that you've really enjoyed. Would that would that be true?
3: That's correct. Yeah, I was even apprehensive going into that one, but then I came out of it having a blast, and I did yeah. buy it. You know, rewatch, but. The first one I saw with Danny, I fell asleep during it. We're in goal <laughs> class. She woke me up and I said, just wake me up when it's the final battle. And then the <laughs> third one, which was in 3D from memory, yeah. I fell asleep during that one as well. And that was at a preview screening. And I was awoken by a friend next to me because I'd started to get my snore on. Oh, uh, but I did not sleep through Bumblebee, partly because I think I saw like a preview screening at like maybe 10 or 11am on a Sunday morning. But... It was awesome. So I'm I'm excited by the prospect yes. that this might be more akin to that. It is. So,
2: I mean, Bumblebee was a prequel to the Michael Bay franchise. I think the, the biggest difference or point of reference here would be that Bumblebee's not directed by Michael Bay, so therefore it has a different feel and a different aesthetic to it. And it's very retro, like it's very much an 80s kind of movie. Uh, Rise of the Beast, like, no joke, like it is probably my favourite action film of the year so far. It is... Look, I reckon it's better than Bumblebee. It feels very much like an 80s Saturday morning cartoon. It just plays out that way. And um, yeah, so I can't speak highly of it enough. But um, as we lead towards our interview, let me read out some facts. So did you know the 1986 Transformers movie, the cartoon, that was Orson Wells's final performance. And he died just five days after recording his part.
3: Oh, I didn't realize it was only. F- I knew it was him, but I didn't realize he died so soon after. Wow, Yeah. that's incredible. And that, that his
2: death was ten months before the film even got released.
3: No, it's How tragic. Weird. That was.
2: I, I liked that as a kid. The the Transformers movie. That was a really um big one for me. And as you'll hear in my interview with um Stephen Campbell Jr., the director of Rise of the Beasts, uh, that movie is what informed him the most. You know, that's where he his love for Transformers comes from. Which sort of you know. Gives you an idea of where he's coming from with the movie. Um, but the, the whole concept also behind the original animated one was Hasbro, their directives were to kill all of the major characters off, including Optimus Prime. Wow. So they could drive up their sales. So their their, their theory, which didn't go wow. to play yeah. was we kill off all these famous characters, we've got room to create new ones, and kids are gonna want to buy yes. the new ones, right? But yep. there was massive, massive backlash and controversy from all of the parent groups and whatnot because the kids were really traumatized. Because yeah. Optimus Prime is this big um, leader; he's someone you turn to for trust. He protects everybody, and to kill him off, like in a kids' animated movie, apparently the backlash back in the eighties was just yeah. You know, that's huge.
3: crazy. Like it makes sense that obviously they want to, you know, bring forth a new generation of Transformers. But when you said it, I thought you'd meant initially that they wanted to kill them off so they could ramp up the prices <laughs> and make them and make the original series collectible because it's like you know when a famous painter or yeah. musician dies yeah. or an actor and suddenly there's a lot of interest in you know that artist's work
2: i genuinely think they didn't think about the kids or the audience at all they just thought hey we can create a new t- toy line here if we remove yeah. the old one right um and f- to give context to that too is that that movie actually came out after two seasons of the TV show, right? And it was a continuation of the first two seasons and like a, a bridge to the next season. Um, but yeah, the fact that yeah. the, the original two seasons didn't have any death whatsoever and then to go and kill them all off in this one film, like kids are man—they're like, they're hyped up from the TV show, then they go to the movie yes. and sit on the big screen and bam. Yes. They-
3: <laughs> Man, that would be such a yeah traumatizing experience as a kid to be like... You know, you go out to the cinema, you're so excited to see your favourite characters on the big screen, you got your popcorn, and then you go through that. You'd never yeah. want to go back to the cinema again because you'd fear that your favourite characters would be dying I if you know. were there.
2: It was a major fuck-up on Hasbro's part also because the film tanked at the time. It didn't get its cult following until, you know, years later. But mm. Hasbro that same year put all of their eggs into sort of the one basket. It was Transformers and My Little Pony, right? And My Little Pony, the movie tanked as well
3: <laughs> oh damn yeah crazy man
2: that's crazy I have memories of liking my little pony I'm, i don't know if i want to revisit it but it's
3: no I... well no you know if you if you're a grown adult that enjoys the my little pony aren't they called bronies
2: well i mean we got taken to town on uh, on tiktok for enjoying kids movies i can't remember which one it was but um we got this comment from a very disgruntled gentleman who's like you know grown adults Talking about kids' movies, how disgraceful.
3: <laughs> oh, man. It sounds like they're hiding something. Maybe we need to get Chris Hansen over there. <laughs> sounds like they've got... They're just trying to, you know, I reckon. draw the attention away from themselves. Yep,
2: yep. So then, then came the, uh, the Michael Bay franchise, of course. Uh, so we've got seven movies in the franchise now with an eighth one in development. The new one coming is called Transformers 1. No idea what it's about, whether it'll be a continuation wow. of this new kind of timeline or whatever. But... um The franchise was actually um, Paramount's idea to capitalise and create a universe the way that Fox had with Avatar and the way that Disney had with Star Wars. They wanted their own universe, right?
3: Of course, yes. And
2: I don't know if they've quite done it yet because so far it is just Transformers, whereas you know, I think in their mind they had this Hasbroverse where they were going to...
3: Yes, My Little Pony in there as well and (laughs) G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, (laughs) definitely,
2: and the G.I. Joe connection. Yeah. May or may not happen in Rise of the Beast. Uh, you know, it's oh very okay. Ooh, that's stuff. interesting. And uh, what was the other one? They I know at one point they were discussing whether or not to bring Power Rangers into it.
3: Oh wow, that's super weird. Because just- that's a weird one. Because I was talking to my wife about that the other day. Was Power Rangers? We're talking about like how um I think it was a friend of hers never liked Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I couldn't fathom it no. because everyone likes Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep. Like it's universally loved. Yep, and they've they've you know re-sort of formed it every few years with a new take and they're they're sort of timeless and i was like oh maybe he was just a few years too old for it maybe he was a he-man kind of guy and and that sort of thing and she said something about the power rangers and i said well the interesting about power rangers they've never outside of that one movie power rangers has stayed pretty consistent to the brief from the get-go that it is you know big, bright, cheesy, ridiculous, over the top. Yep. Whereas that one movie was the series, and I think that movie didn't do so well, so then they've just, all the series are, you know, like the previous instalments. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, something like, obviously, Transformers, they've stayed pretty core to the idea of, you know, maybe they've gotten better over time. But, I mean, Paramount, I just, I can't comprehend. They've, you know, I don't know anyone that really loves these movies outside of, say, the last two, Bumblebee and this new one. But, um. They made money. They make money every time they come out. It's like, you know, no matter if someone was disappointed with Michael Bay's last one, they were still going out to the cinema to see the next one.
2: I get a lot
3: of reality checks,
2: um, you know, because you and I work in the area of film, you know, whether it's distribution or whatever. We just talk film all the time. We're talking with people Mm. that, that have a specific knowledge of film. And, you know, and that is our existence. And yet I will then go off to like another family event or another friends event where it's people that don't revolve in our circles and the conversations just blow me away because I can't fathom how they don't know certain things, right? And, yes, yes. And you know, for example, I had a conversation recently about um, the Little Mermaid, right? Which I thought was a very average film, and there's all the reasons why it shouldn't be shouldn't be made and why Disney shouldn't be doing live action adaptations. Blah blah blah. The kind of conversations you and I would have on a daily basis if we yeah. could, right? And yet, yeah. What I was getting was no we'd loved it and it was like, you know, what was so bad about it? And like why didn't you like it? And I'm like, I'm trying to explain all these things and they're not yeah, comprehending. Totally. Not comprehending. Right. And so okay, there is this yeah. massive world of people that will go to Transformers, they'll go to Avatar. I appreciate yeah. that. They love what's being offered. And it's the same with um yeah. I think this is too, this is us showing our age, because we grew up in a time before Marvel dominated, right? And so Absolutely. Marvel have kind of they've they've actually they're like the Pied Piper of Hamelin. They've taken an entire generation of children, led them astray with shiny yes. things, and now those yes. kids who were born after the MCU began know nothing but big shiny
3: movies. It's true. It's true. Yeah. You yeah, absolutely. I mean. and, and, and won't invest in new IPs it has to be something that's uh you know descended from something else directly yeah. you know they won't they won't go for something new
2: but, but you could have any kids now that are well, how old's the MCU now like 11 12 13 was like 13 years something was
3: iron man yeah. the first one yeah, so that you... was like what 2007 maybe or 2008 maybe yeah
2: yeah, yeah. around yeah. about that time so kids of that age are now in high school Right? Yeah. They were born yeah. around that time and they have known nothing but superheroes. So if they're presented with a movie where there are no magic powers, there are no costumes that are, you know, cape related or, you know, no, sure. yeah, no big CGI finale, um, I don't know what they expect from cinema. That is all they know. So, I mean, I get it. Like, I get why these yeah. people and yeah. these movies make money because it is just, it's the norm now. And we're just yeah.
3: old. It's a sad reality. <laughs> I. <laughs> I have a um, one of my uh, neighbors, you know, I, I know a lot of my neighbors in my neighborhood because I'd be taking the dog out for a walk or getting a coffee. So I do talk to the neighbors quite a bit, something I'd never done pre-COVID, but I'm all about it now. But I was talking to a neighbor who was saying, oh, I really want to see Guardians 3. And I said, yeah, I'm dying to see it. Like, You know, I'm probably going to have to wait till it comes to physical because the sessions like, you know, are really bad at the moment in terms of trying to catch it. And he goes, a mate saw it, and he said it's the best film he's ever seen. This is a grown man saying this. And I was like, legit? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, look, I'm a huge fan of the first two films, so I reckon it could be pretty good. And then he said, yeah, I didn't get into the second one. And I said, oh, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I gave up after 20 minutes, but looking forward to the new one. Oh. And I thought, how are you <laughs> going to watch the third film without having seen the second one? I was like, why would you even bother? But right. anyway, but that that's that mentality that yeah. it's like, oh, well, wasn't for me, but I'll go back and watch the next one because maybe this one is. But these are also
2: people that tune in and out of movies. They can easily yeah. miss an hour of a movie, come in, and they don't care. You know, it's just another. Yes. You know, we are just who we are. We're, we're very niche, and um, you know, fortunately, all the people that listen to Good Movie Monday are just like us, and they're probably having the same frustrations. Absolutely. Uh, but anyway, um, one more thing I will just say about uh, Transformers before we move on, is this whole Michael Bay franchise actually began as a G.I. Joe. It was like conceived as a G.I. Joe franchise. Um, with you know, Paramount had suggested that. But Don Murphy was the producer at the time. You know, the, the great Don Murphy. Oh,
3: yes, of course. Yeah. But Jerry pro- Bruckheimer and Don Murphy. That's right. yeah. so he Murphy actually, Simpson. Simpson, that's right. The whole
2: problem with the G.I. Joe thing was at the time they were trying to get it off the ground is when the Iraq war broke out. And so they didn't want the negative Whoa. connotation with military and kids watching movies. So... That's when Hasbro said, well, hey, how about you do Transformers instead? And then later on, Michael Bay came on and the rest is history. So, yeah. Only now we yeah, start to what, get the, yeah. actual, the good G.I. Joe out of it because those Channing Tatum ones were fucking
3: terrible. S- still have not watched one of them. It's but, a blight um, on his resume. Yeah.
2: He he regrets doing both of them, to be honest with you. If you read up on that, he's uh, he's come out swinging against them. So.
3: <laughs> oh, that's, well, that, that's good. I remember when you had that chap on Andrew who Koji. was in... Was that the Rise of the Cobra or something yep. he was in? Yeah. Yeah. And then he he didn't hadn't engaged with the toys growing up and all of that sort of thing. Yep. So yep. it was like, and you're like, whoa, that's so weird to think. Well, that you know? Rise
2: of the Cobra was supposed to be the way they're going to shoehorn Transformers or uh, G.I. Joe in with Transformers. And so yeah, right, they're right. starting to do that now. So the Hasbro verse is cracking open. I do pick... Lorenzo's brain about that, you'll hear it in a moment and he, he talks about the potential for the crossovers and the Hasbroverse and all that but um, let's listen to a song from the soundtrack and then, uh, then we can go into the, the interviews
1: uh, 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 Think niggas don't think shit. Stink pink gators. My Detroit players. Tim's for my hooligans in Brooklyn. That's Dead it. right. If they head right, biggie there. and I. Papa been school since days of under rules. Never lose. Never choose to. Bruce, cruise, who? Do something to us. Come on. Talk, go through we us. Girls want to us, wanna do us. Screw us. Who us? Yeah, Papa and <laughs> Pump. Close like Starsky and Hutch. Stick to clutch. Yeah, I squeeze three at your cherry and three Bang every MC Take that. easily. Take that. Easily. Take that. Uh-huh. We Silly niggas front ain't saying nothing, yeah. so I just speak my peace, keep on, my peace, Cubans with the Jesus peace, with you, my peace, packin', asking who want it, this yeah. a nigga flaunt it, that Brooklyn bullshit, we on it. Biggie, 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 can't you see, sometimes your words just hypnotize me, and I just love your flashy ways, uh, guess that's why they're broken, you're so funny. Biggie, biggie, biggie. Uh-huh. can't you see uh-huh. Sometimes your words just hypnotize me yes. And I just love your own flashy ways uh-huh. I guess it's why they're broken your soul uh-huh. I put hoes in NY onto to DKNY uh-huh. Miami, D.C. prefer Versace mm-hmm. right. All feeling hoes, though no, it's no ski, no. Every cutie with a booty or the coochie Now uh-huh. he's the real dookie Who's really the shit, The niggas ride dicks, Frank White push music on the Lexus, LX, four and a half, bulletproof glass tits if I want some ass, <laughs> gone blast squeeze first. ask questions like, that's how most of these so-called gangsters pass, bye at bye. last, a nigga rapping about blunts and broads, tits and bras, menage a trois. sex and expensive cars, I still leave you on the pavement, condo paid for, uh-huh. no car payment, uh-uh. at my arraignment, no for the the your daughter's tied up in the Brooklyn basement, Sitting, not guilty. that's how I stay chill Richer than bitches, so you niggas mm-hmm. come and get me Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me And I just love your flashy ways I Guess it's why they're broken, you're so uh-huh. biggie, biggie, baby, baby. can't you see? Uh-huh. Sometimes your words just hypnotize me uh-huh. And I just love your flashy ways uh-huh. Guess it's why they broke in you're so I can fill you with real millionaire shit. You. That's Cargo, my cargo, 160, on. swiftly. By you the one, your crew run, 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 your crew, crew run, run, run. I know you sick of this, lame brand, nigga with flows, girl, say he sweet like with mm-hmm. so get with this, nigga, it's easy. Girlfriend, here's a Call me round 10, come through, have sex on rough that's perfect. Come up to your job, hit you while you're working, for certain, Papa freaking, not speaking, leave the ass leaking, like rapper Demo, tell them take their clothes off slowly, kill them with the force like COVID, COVID. dick black like, like COVID, mm-hmm. has been wrong like Show me. show me, lucky they don't owe me. Where to say, show me, Home yeah, right. oh, mm-hmm. oh, Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me, and I just love your flashy ways. Uh, guess is why they broke in you're so uh, Biggie, 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 uh-huh. can't you see? Uh, Sometimes your words just hypnotize me, mm-hmm. and hypnotize. I just love your flashy ways. Uh, uh-huh. Guess is why they broke and you're so uh. biggie, biggie, biggie. You see, sometimes your words is hypnotize me, and I just love your flashy ways up. Guess it's why they broke in your soul. Uh-huh. Can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways. I guess it's why it broke in your soul. Uh-huh. biggy, can't you see? Sometimes your words is hypnotize me, and I
2: just love your flashy ways. I I- you can't call that anything but classic. Hypnotized by notorious B.I.G. Man, what a soundtrack. what a soundtrack that Rise of the Beast is. Like if if there's if there's one major strength, it is the soundtrack. Like you know, and and if it wasn't for a hip it being a hip hop soundtrack, I'd say this movie is pure rock and roll. So, you know, yeah, it just right, doesn't right. sound the same if you were to say this movie is pure hip-hop. Like, <laughs> but you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, right. Like, the music yeah, is so integral to everything that goes on um, and it's all that 90s hip-hop, the Wu-Tang Clan, Cypress Hill, like all that good stuff. Um, yeah. So, anyway, there, there's a great song for you. We won't muck around. Let's get straight into these. Uh, first up, we're going to play them back-to-back. We've got uh, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura. As I said, he's one of Hollywood's biggest producers. He's responsible for all of the Transformers movies. He's also the guy that recently gave us the two Meg movies, including the upcoming Meg 2. He did Red, Salt. He, um, he was the guy behind the 2019 Pet Cemetery and the upcoming sequel to that. He's done all of the G.I. Joe movies and, and whatnot. So he's worth having to listen to. He's, um, he's very interesting. And then you're going to hear from Stephen Caple Jr., the director of Rise of the Beast. Now, his previous film before that was Creed Two. So if you like Creed 2, you know, he's a, he's a good mind to pick because he's, he's into the drama as well as the action. But um, yeah, one thing I'll note about the Stephen uh, Capel Jr. interview is that he was in transit when I was talking to him. So he was driving his car. So if he sounds like he's in the middle of traffic, he is. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe, maybe he was
3: in a Transformer at the time. No,
2: no Hey, give us your best Transformer in person. Like, can you do a sound? do
3: any of them do like a fart noise <laughs> i could do one of those with my mouth or
2: my armpit when i was doing comic-con with chloe like i mentioned that i had just seen the film and she instantly went into the noise i'm like i wish i could do that she did the whole like <laughs> uh, so in my oh mind, i can do yeah.
3: i can do this more than meets the eye, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the Transformers back then had heat seals, like thumb seals, and you had to put your yes. finger over the sticker to see it change colour, so you knew it was yes. an authentic toy. Do you remember that? Yes.
3: Yeah, oh, man, right. that, that's I love I love those quality seal things. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but anyway, no. So she just busted out the whole and I'm like, I can't do it. Some Amazing. people, I guess, people that have. Uh, enjoyed these films more than I have then just
3: obviously know how to do them yeah totally no one's asking me to quote Ace Venture or Pet Detective verbatim, but I could yep same same (laughs) but that's uh, that's Uh, that's
2: controversial
3: (laughs) yeah of course I forgot about that everything (laughs) everything pre-2022 is controversial your gun is sticking into my hip
2: (laughs) (laughs) I better save the day and just throw to these fucking interviews War is coming.
4: We find this alone. We find it together.
2: Together. Thanks for taking time. Fantastic to be chatting with you, mate. Pleasure. So you've been producing the Transformers movies right from the start. (laughs) Um, Are you as excited about Rise of the Beast as you were back in 2007?
6: You know, there's an ebb and flow when you think about, you know, 16 years it's crazy to me um <laughs> cuz really it started around two hundred four, two hundred five, where we were developing it and everything so it's really like 17 18 years i have to say each time there's a different thing that gets you excited
2: yeah right
6: you know sometimes it's the inter- you know in this case having the beast is so great and so fresh and so different And Bumblebee was trying to do intimate, you know, and and so each time we're finding these things that are keeping us interested and hopefully um, we can translate that to our audience.
2: It's amazing to think that like 30 years ago, you know, big franchises meant diminished returns, you know, smaller budgets, and now like they just keep getting bigger. Audiences can't get enough of them. So it's an exciting time. What can audiences expect from Rise of the Beast? How is this different from the rest?
6: Well, uh, you know, we did this with Bumblebee. We sort of recalibrated, right? We we went intimate. Yeah. And the experience, the satisfaction of that experience, carried forward. So when we went, and and some fans were a little disappointed, not by the movie, but but there was not enough giant <laughs> spectacle for them,
7: okay?
6: <laughs> which we understood. You know, it was a conscious thing to avoid, con- you know, giant spectacle. So what? We were able to do as, as an approach was to say we don't want to lose the intimacy, but we want to re, re, reintroduce the spectacle. Mm-hmm. So that was our decision making in terms of like how, how should we approach this, and that led to a really unusual thing, which is both our human characters have character arcs, full character arcs, which other than really in the first movie, in a sense, when Shia turns from a young boy man to man. Yep. That's not really been available to the humans, if you would. But also we added an arc for Optimus and we've never had an arc for a Transformer. And so what happens is you have three different characters, the three, in many ways, primary characters. They're all going like that with their... um, with their arc, and there's tension because they have different objectives in a way as humans, and 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 as robots. Although I think of the robots as humans, um, <laughs> uh, I've spent more time with them than most of my friends. So, um, so <laughs> it, it creates an interesting tension in the movie. And then once once they figure out all their individual things, the united aspect of it is, becomes really satisfying. So we were able to. Give the, an emotional context for the story that's very deep and movie long, and then we add the spectacle again.
2: Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I think it's also just the fact you tap into the Beast Wars universe. This is kind of what fans are sort of you know really really excited for. Um, but you've got Stephen Capel Jr. If I'm pronouncing his name right, um, not right. the most not the most obvious choice for a Transformers movie. What what yep. made him the right guy for this?
6: Uh, his work. I really liked Creed 2, but I, I'm what I what I saw in Creed 2 was a guy who understood commercial filmmaking.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, what I saw in all of his work is an emotionality and a connection to character that was reflective of what we were trying to do with this movie. Mm-hmm. And then he came in, and the icing on the cake was, he's a diehard Beast Wars fan.
2: <laughs> awesome.
6: And so the advantage when you have a director having such a in a way dna inside of him being beast wars it translates into the movie in 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 a way that you can't articulate but it's there you know the the, there's a comfort there's a there's a certainty of decision making that comes out of that when you own it that way
2: Mm, sure and and within directing this is obviously the second time that Michael Bay has not been in the director's chair. How does he go on set? Does he struggle to let go of the reins when he's sort of on set watching another director call the shots?
6: Michael doesn't come on set because of that. (laughs) He's never articulated that. But, no, Michael's there to help us. Michael, you know, he's got one of the great eyes about visual effects and and how to do a lot of this stuff. But, you know, he's a director first. Um, And so... He's, he comes to set, but he doesn't spend a lot of time on set. And, and frankly, I don't think any director would love to have another director of that significance sitting there on the set. It would just, there's an awkwardness to that. And I don't think it would be helpful to filmmaking.
2: A massive intimidation for sure.
6: Well, there's an intimidation, and there's also, it's sort of like, well, who's in charge? You know, yeah. there's just, it's sort of like, this is my set. Yeah. You know? Um, yep. So it's a little of both, I think.
2: No, that makes sense. And this film boasts a massive, massive cast, including a freshly crowned, you know, Oscar winner. You got Michelle Yeoh in there as well, and I know. Um, everything seems so to have fallen into place with this cast. Um, when you were sort of, you know, recruiting all of this talent, was the pandemic a factor in the in the post in the pre-production of this?
6: Oh yeah, the pandemic got in the way of everything. But they were rushing for a date, so we we didn't have as much prep as we normally had. Um, More than anything, the pandemic threw a lot of uh, curveballs at how you make a film.
2: Mm.
6: Uh, And, you know, going to foreign countries is never comfortable when you're worried about your health. Yep. You know, no matter what country you're from, you want to, if you're going to get sick, you want to be in your own country, right? (laughs) Um, So going to Peru with this whole crew and and Peru at the time was the highest COVID death rate in the world. um and we were like 19 days in the jungle so we were pretty far away from serious medical health but thankfully the vaccine had been introduced in time for us but nonetheless it created a um a lot of pressure Mm. you know yeah for sure sort of like you know and and then there's a lot of detail and trying to test everybody today and different all the stuff you have to go through
2: a lot of uncertainty too um So when you're when you're filming a big Hollywood production like this over in a place like that, how much of the crew is American? Do you have to rely on any local crew? Is there laws in place there for, in you know, well, requirements?
6: each country, you know, what's been fun about the Transformers series is we've got to work with Egyptian crews, Jordan crews, French crews, British, like, <laughs> you know, you know, and Peruvian now, you know, generally speaking it depends on the country and the sophistication of the film industry like a big Mm -hmm. surprise was egypt has they had such a phenomenally good crew we didn't we didn't know what to expect one way or another peru doesn't have a big entertainment business so they don't have a lot of crew that said you know one of our really important ad's we had a couple ad's that were peruvian that were really value you know so we had crew and you have a lot of cast there um so you are absolutely integrating as much as you can of the locals. Yeah. Know? And we had shot originally in Montreal, so we had Canadians, we had Americans, we had, uh, I don't think we, we had an Australian, um, <laughs> uh, which happened to be my wife. Um, ah, there you go. There you go. Uh, so I'm half Australian, that's what I always say. <laughs> awesome,
2: man. awesome. You're down um, with the lingo. <laughs> <laughs>
6: yeah, in fact, I was in Byron Bay for this Christmas last Christmas which was great
2: amazing yeah awesome well before I before I let you run um just want to ask you about the Hasbro universe this is tapping into Beast Wars is this universe going to burst open to people moving forward um will we see crossovers you know what you can't tell me too much but what what would the the vision be you
6: know here's the truth it's so hard to make one of these that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what's next because there's so much to try to uh make excellent now yeah that said we're absolutely talked about different kinds of crossovers we taught for instance we talked about the beasts for probably two or three movies the trick with the beasts was they don't they're not like the autobots where they can turn into a car and just sit in a city and they can't you know what i mean so you had to figure out a story Mm -hmm. that was that could withhold them and so what happened is And, you know, we always try to take you on an adventure when we go to these um, on our movies, which is part of the fun of it, I think. Uh, When we went to when we were debating our story, we were like, well, if we go to Peru, I wanted to go to Machu Picchu. So I won that. (laughs) Um, um, We can introduce the beasts in the jungle because then then they feel like oh, there's a natural reason. You know, one of the things that's hard in the past we've seen it, and in this one you've seen it. You think to yourself, okay, now that we're almost done this movie, now is when we begin to really think about what did we do here and what did it create. And there are always surprises. And in this case, Primal, I I, I almost can't imagine a movie again, a Transformers movie without Primal. Yeah, it's such a cool character. So then you start saying to yourself, "All right, if we do another movie, how do we put Primal into it?" You know what I mean? And and I always say Optimus and Bumblebee are sort of like Batman and Robin. What are you going to do, make a Batman movie without Batman? <laughs> and Robin? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. yeah. So yeah. so the trick is really trying to figure out how many characters can we hold, mm-hmm. um, you know? And for a long time, fans have been arguing for a GI Joe transformers crossover and we've talked about it and we continue to talk about it and we haven't found a we haven't found a way it was it was it's sort of a long response <laughs> but it uh trying to get you into our thinking one of the interesting parts about this movie that's very successful is one of the things we set out to do was give each human a real purpose Yep. and when you go back in the movies and I'm not being critical of them but we, we kept having a hard time figuring out well you know it's hard to compete a human with a 35 foot foot robot that has giant guns like why, what, what can the human do mm. so we designed the movie to make sure the human's skill sets were imperative to the actual storytelling so that they never feel like a um, an add on Yeah. So, so now you got all. You know, imagine this. You think about your next movie. You got to have Optimus. You got to have Bumblebee. When you see this movie, you're gonna love Mirage. Mirage crushes. Pete Davidson was (laughs) some of the smartest casting we've ever done. Uh, You know, again, surprise. We thought he'd be good. He he knocks it out of the park. Awesome. Okay. Now you got Primal. Now you got four already. How many characters do, can you really juggle in my experience is six or seven is where you sort of run out and you gotta have a villain so now you got five yeah so now you're gonna bring anthony ramos and dominic fish you're now at seven so you know what i mean so that's part of the the debate that goes on is like if you fit too much you don't get anything you know what i mean you don't get to know anybody you don't get to invest in that way and so even in this movie um Optimus gets the most airtime, if you would. Primal and Air Razor get the most airtime. Oh, actually, I'd say Optimus and Mirage get the most airtime as as the Autobots. Air Razor and Um Primal get the most airtime. That's not to say the other characters aren't important, but you just you just can't give anybody any significance if you just try to divide it. So that's what happens. So as we think about the next movie, we're we're in a sense, we've got a uh a a feast of riches but they're a burden because like how many can we put in this movie and where are we going to all that but we we figure it out eventually
2: well that speaks volumes for the integrity of the series because that's what i was going to say Is quite often when you get to a sixth or seventh installment in a franchise the fatigue starts to set in with an audience but in this case it doesn't and the way you did recalibrate with bumblebee was just you know genius if you will because it really changed the style and the um the atmosphere of the franchise so Bumblebee certainly been my favourite, so I'm really looking forward to this oh, new good, one. Good, um,
6: good. I'm glad. i I love Bumblebee. You know, Bumblebee's yeah. my favourite character, so...
2: Yeah, it's just a fantastic film, so I'm looking forward to this one. But thanks so much for, you know, taking the time fantastic. to chat. Really appreciate nice
6: it. Nice to talk to you. Where are you awesome. calling from, by the way?
2: I'm in Melbourne.
6: Oh, okay, good. My, yeah. one of my, best, my, my very, very close friends is there, so...
1: Oh. I keep
6: to see him, but because my wife is from Perth, I seem to skip over Melbourne from Sydney to Perth.
2: Yeah, so, all the way over yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Not an ugly place, though. Oh, no, boy, how about that? That place <laughs> yeah. is
6: wild. Who are you?
1: We are the Maximals, and we have the power to fight what's coming. What the hell are those? let end this!
2: Hi, Steven, how are you? I'm good, Glenn, how are you? Yes, I'm doing good. Um, What I want to ask you right off the bat, Creed two to Transformers, how daunting is that when you first land the gig?
4: (laughs) How daunting is it? You know what, it's not that daunting, given the fact that I feel like, you know, um, we had success with Creed two, and uh, I do understand the ins and outs and the nuances of carrying on a franchise. so i can't say it was daunting there's a lot of excitement behind it uh but i think we served the movie really well man and i think it's kind of easier when you're a fan you know so you know what the audience is want a little bit and um yeah i think we lived up to that so i can't say it was necessarily daunting i think more so the shoot games were probably more daunting and traveling <laughs> across the world i was not ready for that that was new that was different uh, well i'm going to
2: ask you about that in a moment but before i get into the film one other thing i want to ask is can you talk me through those first few days of signing onto this project, you're doing Rise of the Beast, do you park yourself on the couch and just immerse yourself in the franchise?
4: Uh, yeah, I didn't have to so much with this one, because again, I knew so much about the franchise and it felt like a long time coming, you know, I kind of spoke this thing into existence a while ago, uh, this is one of the franchises I really wanted to dive into. Um, but yeah, I think where it comes out, like when it starts to get real, it's immersing yourself creating a bubble, um, finding your umphant, you know, I think trying to find a voice in a franchise is more of a a tough thing to do. And so a lot of that comes out through character, right? And so, like, a lot of it became, like, how do I make my own imprint with designing characters that sort of fit me and people could remember? Just like Mirage came about and Optimus Primal and uh, Scourge, you know, where I was able to implement a lot of me into the film and then trying to stay true to the franchise as well you know, to to the lore itself. So dabbling between lore and sort of like what I want to bring into characters was kind of like the big research, you know, of it all. Does that makes yeah,
2: sense. It does. Do you feel like you had a clean slate given that
4: the franchise kind of recalibrated with Bumblebee? A little bit. I mean I, I do and I and I don't. I think I feel like, you know, similar to the, you know, franchises like, you know, Star Wars and things like that where there can be a clean slate but you're still abiding by certain rules that were set up or, or, you know, um, the timeline that was set up, you know, I definitely wanted to make sure that when you watch this movie, you can connect it to Bumblebee and you connect it to what they did, you know, we're like in that in between space where it's like, it's a standalone, but yet it can thread everything together in a really cool way. So, yeah. yeah, right.
2: Yeah. I was um speaking to Lorenzo last week and he mentioned um the fact that Michael Bay sort of stepped well back and didn't didn't sort of you know come onto set or anything like that. Did you feel his specter looming over you? Was that intimidating? Uh no, not at all.
4: Uh Michael Bay he wasn't intimidating at all, actually. He's very helpful. Uh the the Bayham is real in terms of like his experience and like you know <laughs> creating like a a sort of uh chaotic imagery right like in terms of like action sequences and things like that you know and i asked him for advice in that you know and trying to like create those kind of environments because when you do that on set you know and t- trying to create action it just helps um but beyond that no i wasn't intimidating it was fun at times you know like the new Bumblebee design or the new vehicle and what I'm adding to it and how I'm paying like homage to what he set up but then how I'm going a new direction with it and it was just like you know I don't want to say two kids talking about film but it really was you know two fans like really getting together and collaborating and talking about all right how can I do this in visual effects and what what has he learned in his experiences you know like uh he would talk about like you know having too many robots can be an issue in post that kind of thing and I'm like oh okay so combining personalities together or creating a more thorough route. Um, so stuff like that was super helpful, but he wasn't on set a lot. He only came to set, I think, in Peru to hang out and um, check out some of our cool locations.
2: Yeah, cool. Um, so I'm and, and, and talking to you now and I can tell that you were, obviously, you mentioned of being a fan all along. Were you a Hasbro kid though? Like, was this the kind of um, franchise you were into as a child?
4: Uh, yeah, I was into... Um, Yeah, Transformers is a child for sure. The first one was the 1986 feature film version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So that was like my first real encounter with it. And um, I didn't get into the cartoons, like the actual show, till later on, which is weird. Like some people got into the show, then the movie. I saw the movie on VHS tape, and it's probably because of my age. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I, I wasn't even born when it came out, so I wasn't born until later, actually. And so, you know, around five, six years old, that's when I actually got a chance to see the movie itself. And then that's when I became a fan of the actual, like, franchise. And then I started watching the, the actual cartoon, so I was backwards and everything. And then when I was a teenager, Rise of the Beast came out, and then I was a fan on a different level. Yeah. I was still a kid, but I was, like, able to embrace Rise of the Beast and, and, and you know, watch it all as a child.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm, and I am a
4: real kid, I, I never talked about it
2: yeah well that's right i mean and this whole hasbro universe is potentially going to burst open moving forward now it's, it's pretty exciting for people of i'm sort of you know your generation and exciting because it's our childhood coming to life on the big screen it's fantastic
4: no yeah for sure and i'm excited to be a part of that you know moving forward and expanding especially with um transformers i felt like we've been kind of keeping it don't necessarily say narrow but like it's just so much more to the franchise and the world of Transformers like different planets different factions in the whole nine so like to be able to step out and really be the first project out of Transformers lineup to like go outside of the Autobots and Decepticons is really cool by introducing the Terracons and the Maximals and things like that so I just feel like there's a lot more to explore with the franchise um in the IP.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I have two more questions for you. First one being just from a filmmaker's perspective, you know, your, your previous movies are very heavily drama based. Um, is there a fundamental difference going from you know, those drama films to something that's very special effects heavy?
4: Fundamental difference? Um, a bit. I mean, there is when you're you're pulling from your talent, like the actual actors that are there on set. And there's a lot of drama in the movie. Um, mm. I think that's what I'm kind of bringing to the table. Okay, <laughs> there's gotcha. A lot of drama. And there's a lot of tension. Yeah, there's a lot of tension, and there's a lot of like robots emoting and and having arcs, right? And so like it's, it's it's usually you'll find those things on set, and then you know play with it in post, right, and edit it and shape it. Um, in this case, like I did a, some of that. Half of the job was done on set. But then it, took, it takes time to get the robots actually there, right? The visual effects. And so I really spent a lot of time making sure that we shaped their arts and story and be able to get drama out of a robot. And you start to learn quickly, like a lot of that kind of falls into the design the so technical. You know, it's not like just giving Optimus Prime or Peter Cullen a note, you know, it's like, all right, now we got to dive into his face. Like, how can he really emote happiness? How can he emote sadness? Like, what (laughs) can we do with his shoulders? Are they too boxy? Like, those kind of things you don't think about on set, you know, or with an actual actor. Like, you give him a note, you kind of give him a direction, but in post, it starts to get more technical to try to find that rhythm and try to make, uh, to create drama out of these robots that are technically cars and nothing but metal, you
2: know? Yeah, the fact that you've put sort of that depth there makes it very exciting and I can't wait to watch it. And finally, I just wanted to ask you, you mentioned Michael Bay visiting you in Peru. You you shot on all kinds of um, locations and and crazy places around the world. What was your favorite place to shoot and what was the hardest place to shoot?
4: Uh, Oh, damn, that's a great question. So the hardest place to shoot in general was Peru. My favorite place to shoot was actually Peru. Uh, (laughs) It was really cool. The reason why it was hard to shoot in Peru had nothing to do with crew. The crew in Peru was amazing, man. Uh, You know, not not many. We might be the first, honestly, in terms of a big production to go out in Peru. They shot a lot of independent films and smaller local things there. But, like, in terms of, like, a Transformers, a big, huge, like, Hollywood film, I think we were the first. But the crew was totally professional. But location-wise, um, man man we shot on top of Machu Picchu you know and it was such an amazing beautiful location but it was really hard because we had to first get up all the way in the mountains We are in the Andes at this point and you're up there Mm -hmm. shooting and you're dealing with altitude so it was tough for actors to act without running out of breath running in action scenes and then on top of that we just couldn't we couldn't bring in much equipment up there you know because everything is sacred everything has been there for years the ruins are so beautiful you don't want to like destroy anything so we had to lug our own equipment up there and try to really fit thirty-foot robots without a crane and stuff <laughs> like that. So that was really challenging. And then you just had clouds, just you know, sets and takes and setup where you would be shooting for two minutes, and all of a sudden you have to, you know, cameras down for about forty-five because you're literally high up in the altitudes and, and within the clouds, and you have mist and everything just take over and we can't even see in front of each other like five feet or to the next person so that was challenging um but again Machu Picchu sort of opened the door for us and it was a very like beautiful situation you know in relationship uh, the was like you know another home for Transformers in terms of what we were able to pull off there and how much they've allowed us to, to shoot there um, which is great.
2: That's amazing. I mean, if, as if I didn't want to, you know, watch this movie already, I'm very excited for it now. So thanks um, so much for taking some time to chat with me. Um, have It's my pleasure, mate.
4: Oh, pleasure, Glenn. Thank you, man.
0: Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Today we're talking about movies or sequences in movies that have terrible, terrible physics. Neil deGrasse yes. Tyson does not support
7: these pictures. No, he doesn't.
5: You know, I'm going to do one that, that, uh, you know, I loved it as a kid. I still enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. It's a classic film. But there is a problem with physics in one of the most iconic scenes. You see, Chad, you may believe that a man will fly. But the problem with Superman is he's the man of steel. Yeah. Now, when Lois falls from the helicopter, she is subject to something that we, Chad, call gravity. Yeah. 9.8 meters per second downward. Watch the film. She falls for 11 seconds. Now, if you know anything about that, that means that she is achieving a speed that she is falling at a rate of about 230 miles per hour, her speed downward by that time, because she speeds up as she falls. Now, Chad, Chad, don't get me wrong. I know what you're thinking, Chad James, you've forgotten wind resistance. Valid. That actually would mean it would slow her down because of resistance against her body she would be at 170 miles per hour. Now, Chad, here's the problem with that. Uh-huh. She's flying up to catch her.
7: Uh-huh. What
5: happens when you're moving at 174 miles per hour and you hit anything, even if it's the arms of a guy that's going to save you? You splatter your internal organs. Yes. She would have died on impact when he tried to save her.
7: I honestly, when I said this topic, I didn't think James would actually bring physical math into this. You bastard.
5: I was a physics major until I found out I couldn't do the math beyond calculating speed. So So then we can't trust.
7: We can't trust that you picked a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. You just admitted it.
5: Mm. I'm going to do. I said calculating speed. 9.8 meters per second per second. Chad, look it up. Indiana
7: Jones.
0: And we're going to do an Indiana Jones film. And the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now, I stole this from the Den of Geeks, so I want to give them them full. Because a lot of people talk about nuking the fridge and whatnot in that movie, and I get it. But the actual bullshit physics is that Kate Blanchett is in one of those Soviet cars doing 102 driving. There is no way, no way that Shia LaBeouf as Mutt Lang or whoever he's playing can swing with those monkeys to catch up with that car. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It just isn't possible. <laughs> now, let's notice boys that I took out that the man is swinging with monkeys. Yeah. Didn't even bother with that. Let's let's just go ahead and accept that nonsense.
7: It's dumb as hell.
0: But he can't catch up with that
7: car. There's no Yeah, that's always bothered me about that film cuz I'm like how is he swinging that fast? At most he's swinging maybe 3 miles an hour. People talk about JFK, the movie JFK, you know, the famous scene back into the left, back into the left. But what they what that movie should really be uh, talking about, the dick shot from RoboCop. There is no way physically that that can happen. Go back and watch the movie. You can shoot a dick. The, no, the gentleman, the the man in charge, the man holding the woman is clearly holding her up in the air near his I don't head. think
0: we call the rapist the man in charge, Chad. Keep going.
7: <laughs> well, he's a, he's got a knife on her. He's in charge. Um, but if you look at the close up, his crotch is right where her butt is. So th- technically, if Robocop fired that, he would be blowing right through that woman's urethra to get to that dick. Well, maybe to that dick. You get to that <laughs> dick. Maybe the guy had a big dick and it was dangling I, but if you look at the shot it is like right at the crotch right where the dick and balls are
0: you know what so, chad you're right i haven't went back to what i haven't went back and watched the dick and balls as close as when that. i came
7: when and by the way the only reason i know this is cuz i actually went back and watched it before before when i came up with this topic just to make sure i was on co- and by the way i want to point out i did do research on this to make sure to see if there was any feedback on this there's none all the people are talking about is the fact that robocop being a cop made a poor decision get over it, people. It's a it's a movie about a, ro- uh, a cyborg cop. That's all I have to say about this. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Couldn't have said it better.
2: Alright, Jarrett. Getting to the pointy end of the show. We're going to recommend some movies. It's that part where everybody takes the proverbial note and pencil and and they, they write these down and they track them up and they, they, they watch them and they drop us comments all over Facebook. And you know they, they don't do any of that, but you know, they, okay, should. But- <laughs> they should.
3: Well, it's an, you're encouraging them now. So That's right. listeners. Uh,
2: now I got really excited because sometimes I recommend movies that I haven't seen until like you know days before we record. And I had one in mind I wanted to talk about. And uh,
3: yes, I remember you saying this to me, but I,
2: I, it was a absolute turd, so I'm not going to talk about oh. it as a recommendation, but I will tell you what it was. So What was it? All right, let's, let me get to it. I think it's safe to say <laughs> that you and I are fans of the director, Jay Lee Thompson, the guy that did uh, King yes. Solomon's Mines, Firewalker, Death Wish 4, and yes. if you go way back in his career, he did stuff like Guns of Navarone, Cape Fear, Two of the Planet of the Apes movies, and I was yeah, really yeah. excited to find out that he practically directed a remake of Casablanca starring Charles Bronson. And this was a movie oh, wow. called Cabo Blanco, 1980, ah, yes. which is like a Peruvian take on Casablanca and Jason Robards is in it and Bronson owns a bar like Rick did and the woman from his past comes, blah, blah, blah. You know the story. I watched yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Hoping to recommend it. It's a really good looking film, uh, but fuck, it's, it's a hard watch. It's a really hard watch. And and Bronson is not a romantic lead, let me just say that.
3: (laughs) No, no, he's a man of action. He's a man of action. I mean, this is a
2: director of action too, but they just both were just off. They were just not aligned for this one. It was
3: terrible. Maybe it was one of their pet projects. They're like, if we make three of the action films, we get to make one for ourselves, and this is the one we want to make.
2: also, like, you're making... You are blatantly ripping off Casablanca, but you're not admitting to it, and yet you're still Mm. calling it Cabo Blanco.
3: Like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. Oh, God. So, I was
2: hoping for that one, but no, it was no good. So, what I've done is another film I watched uh, again recently, 1968, Malcolm McDowell, If...
3: I only rewatched that last year. How weird's that? Yes,
2: yeah. I and mean, this is a fantastic film, but fucking hell, it is a really, really full on movie. This is the movie that actually got Malcolm McDowell the role of Alex in A Clockwork Orange. And in fact, his character in If is a, a complete prototype of Alex in Clockwork mm. Orange. Like, mm. it is basically the same character if you can imagine his earlier years, you know. It's all set in a, a strict boarding school or public school, as they call it over in the, the UK. It's very much a satire. It's a social commentary about sort of corporal punishment, the private school sector and all of that. Um, But the the satire is carried with a very straight face. Even though things that are going on in the film are funny, like almost in a porky's way, the way these boys are carrying on. It's very um, frat housey.
1: This movie
2: is fucking grim. And I forgot how grim it was until I rewatched it. And it's notorious yeah. for being banned in all kinds of places when it came out. We've got to remember this was 1968. So not only was it really, really violent, which I'll talk about in a minute, it was full of full frontal nudity, like women and, yeah. and whatnot. Like apparently uh, the original cut had lots of um, male full frontal nudity of the yes. boys in the shower room. But the compromise was yeah. for the director to get the female nudity on camera, which he felt was more important as far as, I guess, a bit of shock value, but also just... Um, pushing envelopes. Um, yeah, absolutely. He had to compromise and, and lose the sausage, right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. But once again, 1968, think about that. So Malcolm McDowell's character, he's a bit of a juvenile delinquent. He, he sort of leads the boys astray in this private school. Um, he's not really a rebel in a traditional sense that he's a troublemaker. He's actually rebelling against the cruel faculty, the, the teachers of this school who are very much into you know, fucking punishment. Corporal punishment, Corpial. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of it going on. There's a particular scene um, where the, the three main boys get whipped mm. or caned and it's a hard watch and, and the caning takes place off camera and mm. we're, we're waiting with the other ones who are waiting for their turn. Yes. And the anticipation in that scene, you can hear what's going on behind closed doors and it's just really uncomfortable to watch. So anyway, um, like I said, it has all these frat house um, shenanigans going on, but then it does this full on flip towards the end and the final act is where Malcolm McDowell recruits a whole bunch of other students, they attack the armory and then they open fire on everybody. They sit on the roof and they just mow down all of these parents and teachers and students coming out of a church service And they all go down like old ladies with handbags are getting slaughtered. Grandpas are getting slaughtered. And then the old ladies and the grandpas that survive pick up arms and start shooting back. And you have then this shoot off between students and parents and teachers. And it's relentless. The camera doesn't flinch. Mm. It just goes on and on. And by the end of it, you've got an entire courtyard full of dead bodies.
3: Yeah, it's grim. It's such a dark. Dark, dark ending, like yeah. really is. I remember hearing about that before I saw the film, but nothing can kind of prepare you for the shock of that because tonally it's a massive shift in the movie, like yes. it really is.
2: Yes, and the other thing too is once again, put yourself in the mind of the 1960s. I mean, it would have been very, very far-fetched and fantastical and therefore satirical to have these kids killing people at school. It's not something that just happened, right? And yet we fast forward, what, 50 years and suddenly- yeah that does happen on a regular basis. So that's, I think it's more controversial now because of that fact. But back in the 60s, it was shocking, but Mm. also so shocking, it was like fantastical. Like this is a
3: fantasy. Absolutely, absolutely. And for it to be a British film as opposed to an American one as well, where, you know, sadly it became a reality in the United States, like, you know, well, and, and it's
2: much more unrealistic to a British modern audience because, you know, um, much like Australia, firearms are not that common yes. anymore, but back then they were, and so kids could get their hands on them. Anyway, look, I, I really, really enjoyed this film, and I watched it recently, and and I forgot how close Malcolm McDowell was in this as to Clockwork Orange. Like, you know, you can see exactly Absolutely. why Q wanted him, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, just glorious stuff. It's called If... With dot 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 four dots after it—that's the actual title. Um, check it out; it's it's on streaming platforms. I think it might be on YouTube for free. Um, it's, it looks like it's taken from a Blu-ray because it's a very clean cut. But um,
3: I do. I've got the Masters of Cinema UK release. I think yeah. of of the film, and I've the director went on to do another two films that are part of an unofficial trilogy. I think there's Oh Lucky Man, and then the last one I think might be might be Britannia Hospital. Uh, and I've never seen Britannia Hospital. It's a film that I've been—I've got it in the cupboard, and I can't wait to watch it eventually. But that's one I've been wanting to see. I don't know for like—I feel like maybe close to thirty years or something, maybe longer. Actually, thirty-five years. Yeah, I saw the art for it and images from it. Uh, but I've been meaning to check it out. So, yeah, I've got to follow it up. But, yeah, if dark as fuck.
2: Yep, absolutely. So, there's my recommendation. And the way I recommend it is you watch 10 minutes of Cabo Blanco and then switch over to IF. It's, it's, it's <laughs> <a> wise choice.
3: <laughs> All right, a mate. palette collector, if you will. <laughs> That's Ooh. right. My my pick for this uh, week's recommendation funnily enough is is kind of tied to the whole Transformers thing but not at the same time okay. because there is a transformation as such in this movie just not like kind of a machine oh, no. mechanical kind of so one. It's
2: not Tetsuo and it's not real steel.
3: No no it's n- neither of those. <laughs> it's desperately seeking Susan <laughs> from 1985.
2: Oh my God. Whoa, I, yes. remember, I remember watching that late at night, along with like a double feature with Something Wild.
3: <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, Rosanna Arquette in a bath. Yes. Hello. <laughs> uh, so if anyone's not familiar with this movie, I'll briefly go over the plot. And it follows Roberta, who's like a really disenchanted housewife that's looking for a bit of adventure. And adventure comes her way. She's, uh sustains a head injury, suffers from amnesia, and then assumes the identity of Susan who is um, sort of a bit of a wayward woman who travels, you know, back and forth couch surfing and, you know, having different sort of relationships in different cities with different guys. But she's also being pursued by a crook that's played by Will Patton, or as I like to call Will Patton, Will Male Patton Baldness. (laughs) Uh, And he's, he's crowning in this one. But um, he's pursuing uh, Susan because Susan's in possession of these priceless ancient Egyptian earrings, Mm -hmm. unbeknownst to her that these are this priceless artefact. So he's pursuing her, but he believes that Roberta is Susan because Roberta's assumed Susan's persona. Yep. Uh, And there's romance, there's hijinks, uh, there's all sorts of fun to be found in this movie. It even has Madonna. Yep. uh, And Madonna's actually playing susan in this movie and this she was cast in this movie funnily enough before she broke the charts with like a virgin and you know borderline and whatever else came mm. after that but a great scene in this movie is madonna dancing as her character susan but dancing to a madonna song in a nightclub yeah. uh, into the groove which yeah. was the single from the film uh but yeah it's, it's a lot of fun and it's in the vein of that same year, 1985, there was the Martin Scorsese film that I love, After Hours came out, yeah. an escalation comedy, also throws on Arquette, and it's very similar in nature to that, that you have one small event that spirals into the next and yeah. then, you know, the domino effect. But it's a lot of fun. But I've got some, I've got some wild trivia for you, man. Like, All I mean, right. there's some great cameos in this movie sure. by up-and-coming actors. Like, you've got John Totoro, who was quite young, you know, young in the piece, hadn't really broken out as an actor at that point uh-huh. in time. He's super easy to recognise and he's in the movie quite a bit. But the one that really shocked me yeah. that I found out after I watched the movie and I had to go back and re-watch the clip to see if I could, you know, kind of make him out, is there's this a street sort of hustler that's selling sort of, you know, um, hats and sunglasses on the street. And that actor is actually none other than the chicken man himself from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Carlos I'm talking Esposito. about Yes, Giancarlo Esposito. And that one blew my mind and I was like, man, this guy's been acting for a long time. It took a long time for the guy to get a break.
2: He's the main crazy guy in Do the Right Thing.
3: Yes, of course, Do the Right Thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that was a breakout. The massive role for him. Yeah, cool. Massive. And John Totoro, funnily enough, is in Do the Right Thing as well. yep. I guess because they're New York movies and that's what I did want to mention. This is very much a slice of New York in the early to mid-'80s it's got a super punk rock vibe to it, and yep. that's because the director of it, uh, Susan Seidelman, yep. she directed well, *Smithereens* yeah. Yeah. like in 1982, so a few years prior to this. Well, but yeah, there's punk rock all about, even on the soundtrack. You got Iggy Pop "Lust for Life" playing at a point in time in this movie. It was but- such
2: an interesting time because uh, this was a time when a lot of the Hot shot up-and-coming directors were music video directors because music videos yes. were the new format, right? And so the movie started taking on a very trendy music video kind of vibe and and the labels were trying to crowbar their talent into the film. So that's why Madonna's in this. And I remember, yeah. I, I think about this one. One of the, the movies I wanted to recommend a few weeks ago, I re-watched and realised once again how shit it was, so I didn't, was <laughs> Vibes with um, Cindy Lauper.
3: I Decker know, look, I look, I love it, but it is an awful movie Yeah, right so, It is awful But I feel but so I sorry
2: it. for Cyndi Lauper Because Madonna and yes. her have been competing pretty much their entire careers Madonna's always had the leg up I actually prefer Cyndi Lauper I think she's got more talent And I think her, her mm. music has a little bit more oomph to it and, I agree And so Madonna gets a movie like this It does, you know, reasonably well It gets a legacy And then Cyndi Lauper was stuck with vibes And that is an absolute trash fire it's it's a
3: travesty but i think the only only thing that sort of balanced it out was the fact that madonna's gone on to be in like countless movies since like over 15 features with prominent roles too yeah but arguably this is the best film you know that she's been in or at least the best performance she's had in any of the the role she's been in but at least Cindy Lauper had Life with Mikey with Michael J. Fox. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Actually, wasn't didn't that have an alternate title that's called Life with Mikey? But I can't remember. It had another title. Yeah. Maybe not the Concierge yeah. or no. No. The one, no. Michael J. Fox had some trouble with his films being retitled. <laughs> yes. But I funnily enough, I think I saw Life with Mikey. I saw theatrically. Whether it was released as that here in Australia or whether that was the American title, I can't recall. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, Cindy Lauper, God bless her. Yeah. She is a absolute treasure. Hey, I she's mean aging yeah. gracefully.
2: She's aging gracefully, let's put it that way. And yeah. that, that to me gives her, you know, that, that trumps what Madonna is doing and looking like these. Oh days, so. yeah, I know. That was the
3: most <laughs> shocking part of watching Madonna in Desperately Seeking Susan. And I watched it with my wife and it, it came sort of a conversational point after the movie. Was the fact that you know McGonna was a pretty woman, yep. and it would have been great to see her age gracefully because she is a pretty woman. She's yep. got the Italian genes, yep. you know, but she's gone and done all this plastic well, surgery disaster, it's, it's and it's, it's just, just, just terrifying. When you,
2: you go back and watch the early films of Mickey Rock; like
3: it's just it's the same thing. Abso- absolutely, <laughs> like yeah, you watch Prayer for the a Prayer for the Dying, or you watch Angel Heart, and you think, what a you know what a handsome man, yeah, you know, he would
2: have been a real he would have. Look like a George Clooney type. He would have had that rugged, yeah. handsome old older man look, and yeah, just went dead and ruined the whole fucking.
3: Substances, situation. you know, love of boxing and plastic surgery. <laughs> that they do not make for a good mix.
2: It's funny, isn't it? Because like they, they always say that the reason so many of these Hollywood actors age uh, disgracefully in terms of plastic surgery and changing their looks is because there's the demand on them to remain young. You know that Hollywood, yeah. wants. and yeah. yet you've got these other people that. Like your Meryl Streeps and your Robert De Niro's and the Pacino's that are proving that no, you just got to be a good actor and Hollywood will have you.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. You look at Diane Keaton, you know, Candace Bergen, all of these actresses that have, you know, and then go on to do these book club type movies or 80 for Brady and all this sort of nonsense. But like Diane Keaton is still smoking hot. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, but she's, I love her. Like, I adore her. I think she's, you know, she's a fashion icon. She's just she's just an icon of everything, and she's still so smoking hot. We
2: need a Cindy Loper Diane Keaton uh sign of, like Thelma and Louise type of movie.
3: Man, I yeah, day one I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> see again, why aren't we at the studios greenlighting these movies? I, I know. I'm all over it. <laughs> I'm all over that. We just need a we need a way in, mate. We just need a way in. We do. We do. We just got to make one movie. Yep. And then we're set for life.
2: Just please no Jane Fonda. I couldn't handle it.
3: No no I'm good for Jane. She's she's doing well enough for herself, you know. <laughs> Plus, you know, unless I get her on a publicity tour and she goes on the view and tells people she's going to murder somebody, yeah. you know. <laughs> I do like stuff like that. Like that's great.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness, she's doing the Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, mate, we've uh, we've reached the end of the show, but dude. Thank you for jumping in, like, pretty much last minute that you've uh, come on board this episode. So I really, really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, sir. Um, and we'll have to we'll have to just get get you back here at the desk with Ben and I. Um, you know, yes, it's gonna be fun. I don't know when, but we will. Um, but also want to also quickly remind everybody once again: jump on those socials, you know, share the pages, and like I said earlier, recruit your mates. We do want to hear from you all um drop us a comment what you thought of the episode find our videos the Jarrett segment doing the home entertainment has its own video on a Tuesday night, so you can, uh, yeah. you can see it's doing that. You know, it's on.
3: ruffling feathers with the houseboat horror, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> People are desperate to get their copies of houseboat horror and they're not receiving their <laughs> orders yet and they're, they're finding a way to voice it. They've found a platform yeah. to comment about it.
2: damn if we're, I mean, we're good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what kind of comments they are. Comment. No, exactly, exactly. So yeah, um, also don't forget next week we are carrying on the Transformer theme with Anthony Ramos and Dominic Fishback. Two awesome interviews you want to want to hang around for. Hopefully, um, hopefully by then some of the people listening will have seen the movie so um, they might be able to let us know what they thought of it. Love or hate, I don't care. <laughs> so let's end with another song from the soundtrack, The Rebirth of Slick, Cool Like That by Digital Planets. And um, mate, until next time
3: next time, adios.
8: The breeze floats straight out of our lids. Them, they got boo bodies, hard rock Brooklyn kids. Us, floor rush, when they DJ booming classics. You lead the crew on the fattest hip hop record. He tucks the kinks and sinks into the sounds. She frequents deep fatter joints called undergrounds. Our funk zooms like you hit the Mary Jane. They flock to booms, man, boogie had to change freaks the clips with mad amount of percussion. Where kinky hair goes to unthought of dimensions. Why is it so fly? Cause hip hop kept some drama. when butterfly, rock the light blue suede boomers What by the cut, we push it off the corner. How was the buzz entire hip hop era? Was fresh in fact since they started saying Audi. cause folks made fat from right beneath my hood. The pooba of the styles like miles and shit. Like 60s funky worms with waves and perms Just sending junky rhythms right down your block We beat to rap what key beat to lock But I'm cool like that 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 I'm cool, I'm cool choker, cool. be the Chocolates tap to my raps She innovates after sweet and cat naps. He at the funk club with the vibrate Then they be crazy down with the 5 name. It can kick a plan then a crowd burst be digging it with the bug first Us, we be freaking till dawn, peace and I He gets a stranger smile, so I say hi Who understood, yeah, understood the plans Pimp heard of it and put it to his hands What I just flipped, let borders get loose How to consume all the beaches like juice If it's the shit, we'll lift it off the plastic The babes will go spastic, hip-hop is are classic Pimp play a shock, it don't matter, I'm fat. Butter, how I zone. Man, Cleopatra Jones. And I'm chill like that. 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 I'm chill. Like that. I'm chill. I got crew, kids, seven and a crescent Us cause a buzz when a nickel bets a Hemp, Him, that's my man with the asteroid belt They catch a fizz from the Mr. Doodle Big He rocks a tee from the crooked non-pigs The rebirth of Slick like my gangster stroll The lyrics just like new come in stacks and rolls You used to find the bug in a box with Babe Now he boogies up your stage, plaits, twists the braids And I'm peace like that, I'm peace like that I'm peace like that, I'm peace like that I'm peace like that